The Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2. Hey everybody, welcome to the Women's Football Podcast in association with Her Game 2. I'm Annie Mills and this is our look at the women's game from the Champions League to the National League and beyond. Although this might come as a disappointment to some, there'll be no cameo from our producer Luke this week. Thanks for that, Luke. However, we will hear once again from someone who needs no introduction. It's Ines Sampaio. Hi, Ines. How are you? Hello. And we're also here with Alex Pereira. She's with us as well. Hi, Alex. Hi, Annie. It's great to be back. It feels like it's been a long time since I've been on the pod, but I'm thrilled to be back. (laughs) Welcome back. And also with us, making her debut on the podcast... It's Editor-in-Chief of Soccer Coach Weekly and Women's Soccer Coaching, Steph Fairburn. Hi, Steph. Hi, Annie. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Excited to have you. So, a dramatic week in the second legs of the Champions League. All the first leg ties were finally poised. But we'll start at the Emirates and what a result and performance by Arsenal. It took them just the first 25 minutes of the second leg to get ahead in the tie. A fantastic strike from Frieda Marnham after Bayern got caught at the back and then Estina Blackstenius header had Arsenal ahead in the tie and it's a lead they definitely didn't relinquish. Steph, what a performance from Arsenal that was. Yeah, an incredible performance from Arsenal. I think, you know, they knew they had a, a hill to climb and like you say, they came out and did it so quickly. Um, and to do it at the Emirates, they set a new UK record attendance for a Women's Champions League match. Uh, first time in the semi-finals for 10 years really big performance and do you think all their eggs are in the Champions League basket for now or do you think they'll still try to juggle the WSL well I think if we look at the result they got against City today um I think they definitely look like they're trying to juggle um whether they can do it or not is is a different matter they've obviously got a lot a lot of injuries and we know there's a lot of talk about energy levels and time and matches but I think they'll absolutely be going for both now yeah, it seems to be towards the end of the Champions League run when teams that are game through try to drop off in the WSL. It's a shame, but it is just time management and player management, don't you think? I do, yeah, but I was actually really impressed by um, Miedemar did a, a, an interview with the BBC at half time today and she said, you know, we don't go for those excuses. We need to step up. Everyone's got a lot of games. Everyone's got injuries. Everyone needs to manage this kind of thing. We want to win wherever we are. So I think that's their attitude. Yeah, it's a good attitude to have. In yes, from a buying point of view, were you a little disappointed with their performance? Yes, I was because um, Bayern have showed in the past that they can do so much better and they are a very positive team in the way that they play. Uh, the way that they showed up to Barcelona in the group stage. So I was expecting more from them. But at the end of the, of the day, I think it's more... Um, it was more that Arsenal did very, very well than that Bayern weren't able to do so well. I think it it's, you know, credit where, where it's due. And uh, I think Arsenal really managed to um, prevent Bayern from playing their game. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, but even in the first hand, I, I thought that Arsenal was a little bit better. So... Again, it was. I think it was more that Arsenal were really, really good than that Bayern were as good. I think, uh, yeah, but still disappointing because uh, you would expect more from a team that managed to beat Barcelona in the group stage. 
Yeah. Do you think the win over Wolfsburg in the league took a lot out of them for this game? Maybe a little bit because, you know, they have such a, a rivalry with Wolfsburg and it's such an important uh, competition for them, the championship, of course, but in terms of, you know, because it's only two teams uh, vying for the title, despite the other team's strengths, of course. And I think their priority will always be the uh, Bundesliga. So it's they maybe they had to juggle a bit, you know, and define, well, again, what their priority was. And maybe they decided that, um, you know, winning the Bundesliga was a little bit more important maybe uh, winning the, the Champions League. But the thing is, well, again, when you have such tough comp- competition, and again, it's it's Eintracht Frankfurt, it's uh, Hoffenheim, it's not just uh, Wolfsburg, despite, you know, the, the title race being a two-team uh, affair. But yeah, maybe it took them out a little bit against Arsenal because uh, when you have so many uh, tough competitors, both at home, at home and um, you know in the European stages, it gets a little complicated to manage everything. So maybe that was a part of the reason why they did not do very well. Hmm. Barcelona held a one-goal advantage from the first leg of Roma. It was a more comfortable victory in the Camp Nou as they brushed aside the Italians. Fridolino Rolfe opened the scoring with a powerful strike just 10 minutes in. Constant Barca pressure saw them add a second with a stunner from 25 yards from Maria Leon. And then Rolfe tapped in her second right on half-time. A minute into the second half, assistant Oshalwala added a fourth, tapping in a Banmati pass and Patricia Hidroaro headed in a fifth from a corner. Anna Maria Cetterini got a consolation, but the favourites head through. In yes, it was a dominant performance from Barter in the end, wasn't it? Yes, indeed. Although I think it's a bit, a little bit uh, unfair uh, this result for Roma, especially because of how did how well they did in the first uh, in the first leg, and also I don't know. I felt it felt like they crumbled a bit, especially after the uh, the third goal. Barcelona showed what they're here for, and they showed that they're one of the strongest teams in Europe. Roma are still doing, you know, still uh, making that um, that journey towards being one of the best. And uh, Barcelona really, you know, in front of their fans, because there were so many, once again. Um, it's almost, it's actually funny, because uh, last time it was 90,000, and seeing 50,000 now almost feels like, uh, a disappointment, which it isn't, because we still managed to get the third best crowd ever. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, Barcelona, Barcelona really showed uh, what they're here for and the full uh, width of their quality, especially with players like Aitana and Caroline Graham Hansen, Holfo at their best. And they still have uh, Alexia and Mariona out. So some. Well, again, it was it was expected that they would uh, go forward, and um, they really they had a dominant performance. Still, feel bad for Roma because what they showed, especially in the first leg, um, they didn't deserve a result like that. And you just touched on it there. Despite bowing out, Roma can definitely be proud of their first season in the Champions League, can't they? Yes, definitely. I mean, they've been very, very strong. They uh, tied against Wolfsburg. They got that second spot in the uh, in the in the group stage. 
and then really, you know, they showed against Barcelona, especially again, especially in the first leg, that they are here to uh, do something in the European stages, if not this season. Uh, I mean, they did something this season. They did the thing, like Angela Bassett. Um, but um, yeah, they were. I think they really showed uh, that they are sort of like a team to take into account in the next few years. And Italian football, especially, is growing very fast because you have Juventus, you have Milan, Milan, Inter Milan, and Roma now, which is very very strong. They have really good players like Giuliano. So um, I mean. I'm very excited to see them in the next few years, not only Roma, but all the other Italian teams that have been growing very well in these past few years. Yeah, there's definitely more to see from Roma in the future. But Barcelona through to face the winners of Chelsea versus Lyon. It was a very dramatic game, to say the least. I was on the edge of my chair. What about you, Alex? God, I was. I think I went through the five stages of grief watching that match. <laughs> I was happy. I was it was really weird though because obviously Jules scored, and from where we were sitting, like we didn't even realize she'd scored. And then like the line had put a flag up, and then she put it down. So we were like, we were so confused because we were like, what's going on? But it's a poor goal to concede. Second one's a good is a decent strike, but I feel like with Chelsea, sometimes you need that bit of luck in whether it be the men's Champions League, women's Champions League, whatever, you need a bit of luck and Chelsea got that. And Marin Mielda, nerves of steel, you have to think, a penalty in the 128th minute, it is literally the last kick of the match. Like, to do that and be so composed in doing it was absolute scenes. And I know Chelsea, Leon last time, perhaps didn't go to plan for Chelsea getting knocked out, but I think Emma Hayes said this is the first time they've won a penalty shootout in the Champions League. So it's showing great strides. And obviously Chelsea being Chelsea, they love to do things a difficult way. They can never do anything easy, can they? No, definitely not. And you mentioned Mielda's penalty. It was absolutely cracking. What were your thoughts on the penalty decision given to Lauren James? See, from where we were sitting, we didn't see her get clipped. We saw the Leon defender kind of pull her arm back. So that's why we thought it was given. But I don't want to spend too much time talking about the referees because I think I watched seven out of the eight quarterfinal legs. The only one I didn't was the reverse fixture of PSG Wolfsburg. And in every game, there was a poor decision. And you just think, with the way women's football is growing... And there are more eyes on things like this. And with technology, the referees should be doing better. And it's not like that. I think that was Chelsea's fourth penalty claim. There were three others. There was a handball from a Leon player. Mag Magdalena Eriksson was pulled down in the box. Nothing was given. The fact that the referee didn't stop the game when, um, I think it was like the 55th minute or so, when Melanie Leupold got fouled and her face was bleeding that it, it took about four Chelsea players to go to the ref to say, you need to stop the game because it, it looked like a horror film. So it's one of those where sometimes you get those given for you, sometimes you get them given against. I think it's just one of those situations, unfortunately. So it's great when it happens and your team wins that penalty, but it's obviously devastating when it goes against you. 
yeah, it seems like consistency seems to be the issue quite a lot of the time, doesn't it? Definitely. And I think because obviously with the Women's Champions League, you don't get the technology. And with women's football in general, like in the women's game in England, I don't think you get any technology. And then in the Champions League, you go from group stages where there's no technology to suddenly having everything available. You've got VAR, you've got goal line technology. And sometimes it is that, I don't know how to describe, but not having the knowledge of being able to use the technology correctly. And I'm not saying in the men's game it's used correctly because half the time I don't think it is. But I think perhaps if they do something similar to what they do in the men's Champions League, where they have the the automated like offsides and stuff like that, that would probably help a lot more because it can't. We can't always be talking about poor refereeing decisions in in big games like this. We should be talking about the football that's on display. Hmm. Step. Millie Bright has been absolutely pivotal to this Chelsea team, both as a player and a leader. They'll be rearing to get her back soon, won't they? Yeah, I think they'll be absolutely desperate uh, to get Millie Bright back. You could see her when the penalty shootout was on, even just doing her job on the sidelines, kind of keeping everyone going. Um, I think last week, uh, as we know, Chelsea struggled at City and I think Bright missing was a big part of that. Um, They did a lot better today, but I think her leadership... Uh, her dominance is something that Chelsea really need if they want to have a good crack at the Champions League and at the WSL title. Yeah, definitely. And yes, Leon will be kicking themselves, won't they? Yes, definitely. I actually think they were the better team during uh, most of the game. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, fairness fairness is a funny thing in football because what defines fairness is basically competence, the competence to score goals and to prevent goals being scored. Um, so, uh, I mean, uh, we all will be kicking themselves, like you said, because I think they, they were the more um, attacking team. They were the team that looked the most for it. They had to, anyway. Uh, and Chelsea kind of sat back and waited. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, if you don't score goals and if you concede a penalty in the very last moment of the game, and I do think it was a penalty personally, um, I, well, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna lose, you're gonna be kicking yourself. Uh, but it was a very good performance regardless, or a good performance. Um, and Sonia Bonpastor, um, you know, she had a lot of, uh, players out, Chelsea do as well. So it's and you know the uh, Nidema case, uh, that example. You know, the not not coming up with excuses for going through or not going through because um, the truth is in women's football there are a lot of injuries that take players out for a long time. So every team pretty much is in the same situation at this point. Um, and I don't, I don't think that Hegerberg was fully fit, for example. I think if she was, we would have seen a better performance from her. Uh, I don't think she played badly, but we all know what she can do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Lyon will obviously uh, rule miss chances and maybe being a bit more intense and uh, hungry at certain points in the game. Um but, you know, again, when you concede a penalty in the very last moment of the game, when you aren't able to conserve 
uh, to like maintain the advantage and to keep the ball because you are so, so close to going through, that ends up being your own fault, especially against players like Lauren James. I mean, she's one of the very best dribblers in the world. She is what we call in Portuguese um, a can opener. It's a funny expression because it means, you know, you can really come up with something uh, from nothing. And this is what she did. So, you know, when you have those players against you, you have to be more careful and you have to maybe score the goals to prevent, to make up for the goals that maybe they will scare, uh, score or create. So, yeah, I mean, I thought uh, at, the, uh, at that moment that it was a little bit unfair in terms of how Lyon played and how Chelsea didn't, which has been, you know, uh, common this season. Uh, Chelsea not playing very, very well. But again, at the end of the day, you score goals, you go through. That's what really dictates justice in football, being content enough to score and to not concede. Yeah, definitely. Do you think Chelsea have a chance of beating Barca over two legs? Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> any team has a chance of beating any team. But yes, Barcelona are definitely uh, a very, very strong team. This Chelsea is very, very cynical. They are the kind of team that sit that sits back and waits for uh, the other team to, you know, they wear on uh, on the other on their opponents' patience because uh, they're able to sit back for so long and then create something from nothing because of the players that they have up front. So it's going to be a very very tough uh, two games. Um, I do think that Barcelona are still a little bit, a little bit better, but. Chelsea definitely have a chance, no doubt. The last quarterfinal saw Wolfsburg with that narrow lead over PSG. Alex Popstripe proved decisive after 20 minutes as they extended their lead to 2-0 on aggregate. Kader Diatu, Diani, equalised on the half-hour mark, but once PSG lost their goal scorer to injury, a fifth successive semi-final was beyond them. And yes, Wolfsburg may be not quite as string this year as proven in this Bundesliga, However, they do have that experience, don't they, which could get them past Arsenal? Definitely. And I think uh, this year they really have something to prove in the Champions League because uh, last year they uh, were knocked out in uh, not very... Um, it was against it was against Barcelona, I think. Um, and they... I don't know. I think uh, they are playing against uh, against PSG. They, they knew that Katoto was out, for example, and Diani is at the moment, Diani and Karchawi are at the moment the main uh, players for, for PSG, the, the players that can create something. And once Diani was out, that was uh, tragic for PSG. And Wolfsburg are really, you can see, yeah, like you said, you can see them counting on their experience. They have very experienced players, also very talented young players like um, and Stottir and Gilogrand. Um, but players like Pop and uh, Payar, even though she's still young, um, so many experienced uh, players that some of them have, um, like Pop, have won the Champions League already. Uh, so I don't know. I think, and especially against such a um, inconsistent team like PSG, I think that was really a key a key factor 
we'll see because uh well Barcelona are inexperienced in the uh further stages of the Champions League like the uh the semifinals of course but um we'll see I think if Wolfsburg uh go back to this kind of cynicism that they showed against PSG I think maybe that's their best strategy to beat Arsenal who are a team that like to have the ball but also get a little bit impatient if they don't create chances so we'll see what happens but I think it's going to be a very very tough matchup Steph do you think Arsenal probably the slight favorites for this tie yeah I would say so um I can see them conceding but uh I can also see them winning. Um, I think, you know, like Ines had said, Wolfsburg um, put up a, a great performance. Obviously, Pop is is someone that uh, everyone would fear. Um, but I think with Arsenal's style of play, they'll know how to break Wolfsburg down. Um, Arsenal know how to score goals, even though they're without Mead, uh, Meadamar. Jordi Taylor's not uh, registered in the Champions League, but I think they, they've proven today in the WSL they know how to get a result and how to score goals. So, yeah, I'd be back in Arsenal for that one. And 16,000 tickets have been sold already for the game at the Emirates. It's just so good to see, isn't it? It's so good to see. Do you know what this whole week has been? has just been an incredible advert for the quality of the women's game, the people showing up, the edge of the seat excitement. Like that Chelsea game, I'm a complete neutral. I couldn't watch it. I was just so excited when the pens were happening. I just think... Um, to see all of that, yeah, how brilliant to look at the women's game and to see people really investing in it and to for the game to be showing off how great it is. The semi-finals take place on the 22nd and the 23rd of April, a Saturday and a Sunday. Arsenal were due to play at Manchester United on the Saturday. Mark Skinner has hit out at the scheduling, saying it's strange and needs to be looked at. Alex, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think he has a point? I think to a certain degree, yes, but if this has been set, months and months in advance, so before the season's even begun, then it's it's one of those where UEFA are very strict on their on their scheduling. Whereas like with the WSL, we know we've seen many a time a game has been rearranged. And yet it, it sucks that a game on a Saturday is being rearranged for a midweek fixture. But it's the Champions League. It's one of the best competitions some of these players will play in, excluding uh, international football. And I think if they want to see sort of big crowds, like the weekend, like I've seen people on Twitter say, oh, thank you, I can actually get to a game because it's on a weekend because not everyone is able to because they work late night or they work long shifts. So in that instance, it can be better for some people and if it's going to get big crowds like the Emirates have already sold 16,000 tickets amazing Chelsea I know sold 5,000 and that's going to rise it's so it's an amazing thing so I think for now I'm kind of for it being on the weekend but it is I can understand frustrating considering Man United Arsenal I think this is the third time it's been rearranged so I can kind of see his point but at the same time Next season, potentially, if United get to get into the Women's Champions League and say hypothetically they get to the semi-finals and it's on a weekend, is he going to be complaining then? That's what I want to know. Mm. Staying with Manchester United, they kicked off the domestic action on Saturday lunchtime with a trip down to Brighton. It was a comfortable win for the Reds with Leah Galton, the star of the show, 
two for her along with the now traditional headed goal for Rachel Williams and Lucia Garcia rounding off the scoring which kept Mark Skinner's side top and Brighton looking over their shoulders. Another emphatic win for Mark Skinner's side and he'll definitely be pleased to see other players step up to the scoring plate, won't he, Steph? Yeah, absolutely. Man United were just dominant. Um, and that yeah, that was something I was kind of thinking about the number of players that they've got that are contributing now. You said, you know, Galton with those two. Williams and Garcia both came off the bench. Two and Rousseau Zellum didn't even score in that game, yet they still got fourth. That kind of shows the, the power they've got. Um, I thought, yeah, Man United played brilliantly. Really worrying for Brighton, though. I think Brighton looked all right going forward, but we're just cut open at the back time and time again. Um, they look tired. They look low on confidence. I know they haven't won in the WSL since November, 19 league matches without a clean sheet. And Man United's not really the team you want to face when when that's where you're at. Um, so yeah, great for Man United, but not so great for Brighton. No, definitely. Amy Merricks has steadied the ship a little bit, but as you mentioned, it, it looks like worrying times for the Seagulls, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. I mean, they've, they've gone bottom. They do have two games in hand. But um, yeah, what struck me, I think, was... I'm not quite sure what kind of line they were trying to play. Man United had them running towards their goal again and again. The last uh, the last goal was the mistake. They tried to play back to the keeper. It was intercepted. Um, and, you know, they did have some chances going forward, but I don't feel like they've got that strong foundation to build on. Um, and as exciting as it is at the top with, you know, these four teams competing um, to be champions, it's also like that at the bottom um, at the minute. Obviously, Leicester got a win. So... Brighton really, I think, need to pull something out of the bag to steady the ship even more there. Yeah, definitely. Back to WSL business for Arsenal in the Sunday lunchtime kickoff as they hosted Man City at Meadow Park. City got off to a flying start with Bunny Shaw scoring a brilliant header to put them in front. Arsenal's goalkeeper, Sabrina D'Angelo, made some key saves to keep Arsenal in it. The second half was a different story. It's Frieda Marnham tapped home after a scramble in the area and then Kate McCabe fired in a wonder strike to give Arsenal the advantage and all three points. This was Manchester City's first defeat in the WSL since September. Alex, that's a massive win That as that could have been the title over for Arsenal had they lost. Yeah, it is. And fair, fair play to Kate McCabe. Obviously, she went off on... Wednesday with a boot and on crutches and then she's got an absolute rocket so fair play to her I do want to say though I did find Jonas Eidevall's comments in the press conference before like I don't know whether it's for the Champions League or for what or he just kept banging on about City and Bunny Shaw scoring all the goals for City and I was just thinking you want your striker to score the majority of your goals. Like, I don't understand, I didn't understand that comment. And I think, I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of Gareth Taylor, I'll openly admit that. But I thought what he said was correct. Like, why is Jonas Eidevall so bothered about Bunny Shaw scoring heaps and heaps of goals? And I think he says something along the lines of, probably says more about Arsenal's nines, which is a fair comment to make. But I don't, I don't know, it's just... Arsenal, Arsenal is one of those sides where they'll beat the teams you expect them to beat, and then they'll sort of struggle. That that draw to West Ham was a really peculiar result for them because you think West Ham is a side they should beat, but it does make the WSL title race 
interesting but it's it's one of those where when you when you're a fan of one of those four teams in the title race it's exciting for everyone else but when you're like oh god like the pressure's on and stuff like that and you want your team to go out and win that you're just like oh god like I don't know what to do don't know how to feel yeah definitely Steph, Arsenal's energy just wasn't there in the first half, was it? But Jonas Adville said after that he was lost for words with the way that they rode back. Yeah, I thought Arsenal's comeback was actually incredible. Uh, City started so quickly, obviously that goal on four minutes. They started the same way they'd started against Chelsea the week before. Press, press, press. Arsenal did know how to handle it. But unlike Chelsea, they figured it out. So I think, um, yeah... City should have put it to bed, really. Hemp missed two sitters. Uh, Chloe Kelly went close. If any of those goals had gone in, that would have completely changed the game. But I think it was a real champion's mentality from, from Arsenal to come out much better in the second half. And a champion's mentality from McCabe, um, especially. I think we'd seen her frustration throughout the first half. I think Chloe Kelly's face saw her frustration with it, with a throw in at one point as well. But she really took hold of the game and said, you know, I'm going to make this happen. And that goal was incredible. So I think, yeah, big, big points for Arsenal today and a real show of mentality. You just touched on it there, Steph. It was a very interesting game for Katie McCabe, wasn't it? She got booked early on. And then as Anita Asante said, she only does bangers. Yeah, she only she only does bangers. That's exactly right. I mean, Katie McCabe, I think, is a player that you just see the passion for the game every single time she plays. If she's on your team, she's your favourite player. If you're facing her, you absolutely hate her because you know what she's going to give from a defensive point of view. And then, like you say, cause problems, whether it's with crosses or with that banger that she scored today. Um, yeah, I think Man City will be kicking themselves that they let her kind of get that space. And obviously, Robert got a hand to it, but it's hard, I think, to make that full save when it's coming through the crowd like that. So, yeah, another banger for McCabe. Man City could have gone joint top with the win, but as it is, Arsenal leapfrogged them into second on goal difference and with a game in hand. The late kickoff saw Chelsea beat Aston Villa comfortably in Birmingham. Yelena Kankovic and Giri Wrighton had Chelsea 2-0 ahead at half-time, with Sam Kerr adding a third on 56 minutes. Steph, with Chelsea's efforts in the week, we expected Carla Ball to provide problems, but they saw them off no problem, didn't they? Yeah, they really did. You know, I was um, disappointed. I was expecting a really tight game there, but uh, Chelsea turned up. I think Villa were determined to play, like you say, Carla Ball, the way they play, to play out from the back. They were getting themselves into trouble. Um, it maybe wasn't the right tactic against a team like Chelsea, uh, when Villa tried to attack, I think there was a lot of space between uh, the midfield and the attack. There was lone forwards there. I mean, Villa did have their their chances, but Chelsea were dominant. So, yeah, a really, really big win for Chelsea. But like you say, I don't think they thought it would be that easy. Alex, Emma Hayes made changes. So that's quite impressive that the squad players have stepped up, isn't it? Yes, it is. And that's... Sometimes having a bigger squad helps in these situations, but then you also look at the bench and it does look quite sparse. But to be able to win and not have to bring on the likes of Lauren James, who played the whole 128 minutes on Thursday, Aaron Cuthbert got taken off, I think, in the 111th minute, picked up a little knock. So it's good to be able to rest some of our key players. But I do think it... In hindsight, you can look at it now and be like, it is a little bit stupid to have not invested 
in a forward or someone to play alongside Sam Kerr. Because I know we've obviously bought Micah Hamano, who is doing well on loan at Harman B, but she is still only 18. So to have perhaps got someone in, even like just on a loan, so it's not Kerr having to play every game. Because obviously, we know she's a phenomenal goal scorer. She's just scored her 50th goal in the WSL. I think she's the second fastest player to do that. But sometimes when you rely so heavily on one player to get your goals, it doesn't necessarily work out in your favour. Yeah, definitely. Steph, we mentioned earlier the need for squad depth and that a lot of the teams at the top of the WSL are getting tired playing the Champions League and the WSL. Could City and United not being in Europe mean that they'll be fresher as we reach the business end, which could give them the edge in the title race? I mean, I think that's what City were were hoping uh, in their game today. Definitely. Uh, the one thing I'd say about City is their game, their high pressing game, their fast game. Um, the danger about that is, you know, you can be fresh week to week, but that takes a lot of energy out of you during the match, which I think we saw today. They didn't seal the deal in the first half. So in the second half, when that energy was gone, you know, they they couldn't get it back. Um, obviously, United are still in the the FA Cup, but absolutely, I think they're proving to kind of have have more legs in them. Um, but I think, you know, it's a great challenge. And ultimately, if you want to be a team at the top of your game, you need to be able to manage these challenges and produce across all of the competitions. So that's the real challenge here for Arsenal and Chelsea. Big question. How do you see the title race going? Oh, Addy. Oh, <laughs> I'd, you know what? I... I really feel for Alex because I know she's a, like she said, she's a fan of a top four team. I'm not, which is just great for me, but it it just changes every week. Uh, last week, for example, I thought, okay, City are really steaming ahead here. Um, part of me wants to say Man United, but obviously they've, you know, this would be the first time for them. So I'm kind of thinking, can they hold on? Um, and then, you know, after today, I'm going to go Chelsea. That's that's how I'm feeling now, but ask me again and it'll it'll change for sure. Alex, you'll be lacking that answer, won't you? What's your thoughts? Yeah, I do. My my heart says Chelsea, but, you know, we all know what happened last season between Chelsea and Arsenal when it went down to the last day and Chelsea won the league by one point, which you think about it now, that's crazy. And now you see four teams buying for, uh, buying to win the WSL, and that's what we want. We we want the league to be more competitive. We want to see teams like United and City challenging for the title. But I do want to say this. If Chelsea somehow managed to pull off winning the WSL, I believe it's the first time that a team that's been table uh, been top of the table at Christmas would have won the WSL, which you think is just like crazy in the grand scheme of things. But also, you'd be the first time a WSL team won four league titles in a row so I'm backing Chelsea but I don't think it will be as easy as people think it will be and yes you've got two votes for Chelsea is your opinion different or are you in agreement? I think they're too cold a team not to lose out on the title uh, but I think it'll be uh, like last year until the very end but now with four teams instead of two but I, I'm still voting for Chelsea they they're still, they're just one point behind with uh, a game uh, at hand, I think. So, I mean, it's still Chelsea for me. I think they're, they're, their squad is better than everyone else's. And I think that's 
um, I think despite not not thinking that that, that squad is you know um, fully uh, you know it's like it's uh, like the brain you're not using it to its full potential uh, but yeah I, I still think Chelsea will win they have the players that have players that can create something from nothing and in those key moments those players always show up uh, especially some care so I, I'm voting for Chelsea down at the bottom, a huge win for Leicester City as they defeated Reading at the King Power Stadium with a dramatic injury time win. Midfielder Sam Tini put Willie Kirk's Leicester in front after 20 minutes with a wonderfully controlled volley from Courtney Nevin's cross. But Reading were level on the stroke of half-time when Charlie Wellens lashed home after Amelie Eichland's shot was blocked. But Carrie Jones swept home from Hannah Kane's cross in the 96th minute to move Leicester above Brighton and off the bottom of the table. Steph, a huge, huge win that for Leicester, wasn't it? Absolutely massive result for Leicester. And to do it in the dying seconds um, was, yeah, was really exciting, I think, I think as a viewer. Uh, I think they'd probably gone in at half time and heard the Tottenham result and heard there was a bit more for them to fight for. And then they came out fighting in the, in the second half. And you know what? It was a win, but it was also a really good performance. They were the dominant team. They had 59% possession they had eight shots on target compared to Reading's two shots so I think they can be really pleased like I say with performance and result and hopefully try to build from there. Alex on the flip side it was a huge blow for Reading. Yeah it was but I feel like Kelly Kelly does a lot with what she's got like she's not blessed like Chelsea, Arsenal, City, United to have that big budget so for Reading to really progress, I feel I feel they do need to get that investment. But obviously it's it's a lot easier when your men's counterparts are in the Premier League, unlike with Reading. I think they're one of the few teams in the WSL that don't get that that Premier League funding in a sense. So they do well with what they've got. But it's one of those where, you know, it could have gone either way and Reading Reading just need a bit of luck, I think. They just need a bit of luck, get some momentum. A bit like Brighton, they're in a poor run of form, but then you just get that bit of luck and then things things in football, as we know, change so quickly. And yes, the pressure is on Brighton, although they do have two games in hand, don't they? Yes, I think uh, I think it's going to be very hard until the end. I believe in Leicester because um, despite the most recent results, uh, they were able to pull out from a very tough situation before already. So I think they, they have that uh, resilience, that mentality to go forward. Uh, but yes, I think Brighton are in a very, very tough spot. It's horrible to do this, by the way. But um, if I had to bet on a team uh, going down, maybe Reading, but it's very, very tough. Um, it's um, I hate uh, relegation, despite believing that it's good for competitive competitiveness. But it's it's horrible because uh, you know, in the end, you'll just see the players' tears, and uh, it's really heartbreaking. But yes, um, Brighton, Leicester, Reading, those are the teams that will perhaps uh, be the most involved in the um, relegation, the race against relegation, actually.
Everton beat Spurs 2-1. Nico Sorensen opened the scoring after just four minutes after being set up by Izzy Christiansen, but Evelina Sumanen equalised soon after. It was looking like a vital point for Spurs, but up stepped Chelsea Loney, Aggie Bieber-Jones to give the Blues the three points which keep them in sixth. Alex, Everton are a different animal this season, aren't they? Yeah, they are. To be honest, I, I said a few weeks ago, I probably think they'll go down. But, you know, like I said earlier, football changes so quickly. And Spurs, it seems like, although they got a win a couple of weeks back, 1-0, Beth Moonlin, absolute rocket. Poor camera work, though, to, to only have one angle. But that's a, that's a um, story for another day. But Spurs, it seems like, despite sacking Rianne Skinner, they still can't seem to find form or a good run of form or momentum. So perhaps sacking Skinner might not have been the right decision, but Spurs are so reliant on Bethany England that it's like before she came in January, right, they had that 8-0 win, but then since then really petered off. So I don't know what it is about... Spurs in general, I I don't know whether it's like just a thing for Spurs to not be able to recruit well, bar Bethany England, because even their men's team don't always recruit that well. So it's one of those where Spurs get Spurs women get that money from their male counterparts, but it's not invested well. So I just I think they are given their run of form, they could be the one to go down. Steph, the result keeps Spurs looking over their shoulder, doesn't it? Especially with the Leicester result. Yeah, it does. And, you know, they've got a tough next game against against Villa, who I think, bar the result against Chelsea today, no one wants to face Villa at the minute. Um, yeah, Spurs are, Spurs are worrying me at this point. They've lost 11 of their past 12. Um Interestingly as well, they've conceded seven goals in the last 15 minutes of WSL matches this season. So I'm not sure they know how to kind of see a, see a game out anymore. Um, I agree with what Alex says. It can, it can change so quickly. Some of their star players, Ashley Neville, that really was brilliant last season, hasn't showed up as well this season. And I'd love to chat to Beth England and see, you know, going from Chelsea to Spurs, what's what's the difference being in mentality and in setup? Um but yeah, Spurs need to pull something out of the bag pretty quickly, I think. Liverpool remained a point behind West Ham after they played out a goalless draw down in East London. On to the Championship next. In the Championship, if you thought the title race was over, think again. Bristol City took on Sheffield United in Bristol and it was the visitors who came away with a surprise victory thanks to Courtney Sweetman-Kirk's 25th minute goal. The task was made harder for the home side as American Victoria Bruce got her marching orders just six minutes into the second half. London City took advantage of that slip-up by winning a local derby over Charlton. Frida Ayesi, who scored the winner in midweek over Lewis, had a less successful Sunday as she picked up two yellow cards to leave her side on the back foot. It took until five minutes for the Lionesses to break the deadlock, but eventually it was Atlanta Primus who found the winner. Steph, just when we think the title race in the championship is done, we have another twist, don't we? Yeah, exactly. Whether you're looking at the WSL or you're looking at the championship, it's 
it's changing every week, which which again we keep saying is is so exciting. Um, I think you know when we're thinking about teams that are going to drop out of the WSL, we're thinking about which team's going to which team's going to be promoted there and which team can kind of hold hold their ground in the WSL next season. But um, yeah, really exciting. Birmingham are on a late charge. They moved up to third and just four points behind London City and with a game in hand. They beat Southampton at St Andrews thanks to a penalty by Jay Pennock and an Ashley Hodgson goal. Ella Pusey had equalised from the spot for the Saints. Southampton slipped down to six. Steph, could Birmingham still have a say? If they win their game in hand, they're only five points behind Bristol City. I think they could. Yeah, I think they could. Um, I think that was a big result for them today. I think, you know, Bristol's confidence will be a little bit shaken uh, after the result against Sheffield today. So, yeah, I think it's really all to play for. Crystal Palace moved above Southampton as they came from behind to win up at Sunderland. Elizabeth Edupi gave the Black Cats the lead, but Palace fought back thanks to goals from Annabelle Blanchard and Lizzie Waldy. Also with the championship, Blackburn drew 2-2 at home with Durham and Coventry United remained 10 points adrift at the bottom despite picking up a point at Lewis. In the National League, the North Division saw Nottingham Forest remain seven points clear as they beat Burnley 3-0. Two goals by Sophie Domingo and Mai Moncaster chipped six minutes from the end to see Andy Cook's side march on. Wolves remained second with two games in hand as they brushed aside Huddersfield thanks to goals from Jade Cross, a double from Beth Merrick and a goal apiece from Destiny Tucson and Anna Morfitt. Elsewhere, Derby drew at home with Bridge House Loughborough Lightning lost 3-0 at home to Liverpool Feds and Stoke City lost 3-2 at home to West Brom. In the south, the big game between the top two, Ipswich Town and Oxford United, was called off due to a waterlogged pitch in Suffolk. That meant Watford and Portsmouth both edged closer. Watford won 5-2 at Plymouth Argyle, despite falling behind early on. Portsmouth won an incredible game down at Billericay. Jazz Younger's header in the fourth minute of stoppage time saw Pompey claim all three points and also caused their Twitter to go into meltdown. Elsewhere, MK Doms beat Bridgewater 4-1 and Cheltenham and Gillingham played out a 0-0 draw. England take on Brazil on Thursday in the Finalissima. Laura Coombs has got a recall to the squad and Lottie Rubin-Moy is drafted in as Millie Bright has pulled out with injury. To look at it from the other side, we caught up with Globo Alan Caldas. I, I think in Brazil, we see not only Brazil facing England in Finalissima, but also the friendly game after that uh, against Germany in the April 11, uh, as the final test before the World Cup. The, the England team is a strong team. It's important to see how, how good we are before we start the World Cup. But unfortunately, uh, Pia Sundhag, the Sweden coach of Brazil, is having much trouble with in, uh, player injuries. Uh, we we lost only from the announcement of the squad uh, three players with injured. Uh, Marta, everybody knows Marta, is injured. Is a, a, a muscle problem. It's it's natural because he. He was 10 months away from the, the, the game because the, uh, the knee, her knee problem, uh, ACL. Uh, and so it's natural having uh, muscle problems by now. But we lost also 
Duda Sampaio is a young player from Corinthians here in Brazil. It's a it's a talent uh, midfielder, and uh, we lost. The, the last one was Nicole Harissa, a young at, uh, attacker from Benfica, and so Pia had lost already. Our goalkeeper Lorena, a younger goalkeeper uh, with, I, I believe, uh, is the future of the goal goalkeeping in Brazil. Uh, Lorena is out, probably out of the World Cup. Also ACL, her knee, a knee problem. And uh, we also lost Debinha. Everybody knows Debinha, but uh, she's not a, a, a concern for the World Cup, but it's out of the finalism. Uh, and Tainara, defender from Bayern München, is out of the finalism, not a problem to World Cup. So Brazil has half of the team out of the, these two uh, important tests against England and then Germany. You mentioned about Marta, of course, she, she was out injured for a while and she's come back now, but she has declared that she will be fit for the World Cup. It, it'll be a fifth World Cup, won't it? And she's going to create a, a record, certainly in the women's game, for that. So how big is how big is that, that she will be fit for the World Cup? We, we hope she, she will fit, because uh, she's our number 10. She's our uh, main player from forever. <laughs> Since she starts playing, she's, she's the main player in, in Brazil and sometimes in the world. Uh, we, we think that Brazil has to learn how to play without Marta. It's important because uh, this World Cup probably will be uh, her last one. We never say never, <laughs> but hmm. uh, uh, we know that the, the time is coming for everyone. We have a, a younger talents, uh, but Marta is a leadership. Uh, it's important leadership, even when she's she's out of the squad. She with, with Pia Sandhog, sometimes Pia left left her uh, let her on the bench because we we had in the past uh, Marta and Cristiani and Formiga and other important players, but we we didn't have a structure. And since since Pia came to Brazil, uh, our federation Brazilian federation start to 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 do. Uh, it's homework. Uh, Brazilian Brazilian national championship is stronger now. It's not the ideal, but it's stronger now. Um, we have youth competitions we, we didn't have in the past. So Pia is working to get results now. Uh, we, we hope at, at least achieve the quarterfinals in the World Cup. It, it, it will depend, uh, in my opinion, it will depend basically of the second game in the World Cup, Brazil and France, because the the team who won, who the team who win Brazil against France uh in the second game in the World Cup probably will be the the, the first one in the group F and avoid clash against Germany in the round of 16. So it's important to Brazil. If, if Brazil win France Maybe, probably, the other teams in Jamaica and Panama, Brazil, can have conditions to have football to, to win. And advancing in first in first place in Group F, then uh, we can avoid Germany so early in the round of 16. So if Brazil achieve the quarterfinals, I believe the, the, the work of PIA is done. 
obviously see it if, if Brazil advanced to final or win World Cup, the, the best scenario. But I believe the Brazil uh, uh, worked now to achieve the quarterfinals of the World Cup. It, it's it's a uh, possible goal to Brazil now. And you have players playing all over Europe, of course. You mentioned as players in Italy, Portugal, and, and obviously a lot of the fans in the WSL know Raffaele, who's at Arsenal as well. So that will help, won't it? Having a lot of European experience, especially when it comes to playing against England and Germany in these games. Yes, it's very important to Brazil to having players abroad. Because, as I said, uh, the Brazilian National uh, Championship is is getting stronger, but it's not strong yet. Uh, it's it's getting better, but there's a lot of, of work to do. And then, if Brazilian the Brazilian players who plays here in Brazil, they 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 not they they didn't they don't have the ex international experience. So now we see Rafael is 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 working very well in in Arsenal. We have players in in as you said in home in Italy and Germany and Portugal and Spain. Jay's is 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 going well in Barcelona, um, and we have players going to. United States. Uh, we have Marta for so long uh, in the United States and Debinha uh, in the United States uh, playing very well. But now we have Ari Borges, is a, a younger midfielder from Palmeiras. She's just started uh, in, in WSL in, in the United States from Racing Louisville and started very well. Uh, Caroline is, is, is playing since last year in the United States. Adriana left Corinthians in Brazil and, and went to Orlando Pride in the United States. So the players, uh, they, they are getting more international experience. And I, I think it's important because when you when you face the best in the world, uh, you can only improve. Uh, it's important to, to understand in which point of football uh, development you are. Uh, so you see Rafael. Rafael now it's a defender, uh, a world class defender. We know that because she is facing some of the best attacker, attackers in the world. So she's facing players like uh, Sam Kerr. Uh, she's facing uh, players like uh, Bunny Shaw, Jamaican Bunny Shaw, and, and Chloe Kelly, and other ones uh, who plays in England. Uh, and training uh, with uh, other other great players too. So we know Rafael is a world top, a, a top defender because we see every week she getting uh, doing a, a great job against the best. The, the same we can we can say about the, the the players in the United States, the Brazilian players in in Germany, like Tainara, defender from Bayern Munich, and others. And finally, Alan, how, how do you think it will go? Have you got a score prediction for the game at Wembley? Well, uh, I, I, I was I was analysing the, the England team comparing uh, with Brazil in, in, in terms of uh, consistency. We know that Serena has all, always... Uh, OK, the England lost Beth Mead. Uh, uh, she's an important player, but the, the, the team... As a whole, uh, uh, they are also uh, they, they are always the same team, basically the same players. It's important. It's something that Brazil, you know, unfortunately can can do, 
because of the injuries, as I said. So uh, I believe Brazil goes to the, the finalissima um, with a with very little hope of of winning because it's it's uh, it will be difficult in any situation. But Brazil has only half of her team, uh, the ideal team. If you if you think about the ideal team, that the the the, the squad that Pearson Hogg has in her mind, what what which team I would like to have against England? Uh, she she lost at least four. I, I would say four or five of her uh, uh, ideal team. So it, it, it's too much. It's too much. So I believe Brazil can can be competitive. I believe can be competitive, physically competitive too. Uh, it, I, I don't I don't want to say that it would be easy to England win, but uh, I I don't have uh, uh, too too much hope hope of Brazil. A quick question to you guys. How do you see that game on Thursday going? I think it will be a really, really good game. I know, obviously, England are on this amazing run of form under Serena Wiegmann, but missing Millie Bright, she's so key for Chelsea and for England. I think she's probably quietly just gone under the radar for how good she's been. I also think she doesn't get the plaudits she perhaps deserves, but... It'll be interesting to see how how England play, obviously, because Beth Mead has been scoring a lot of goals. And then she had that horrendous ACL. And they've managed to cope in the Arnold Clark. But it's going to be interesting to see how the game goes. But it's also super positive and progressive that, you know, the women's team are getting these big crowds at Wembley. It's something... Anyone who's watched women's football over the past five, ten years or so, it's something that the game has been striving towards. And I'm so happy to see it finally reach that level. But Brazil are a pretty good side. Um, so I don't think it'll be England outright winning 4-0 like they did against South Korea and stuff like that. I think it will be very competitive. But I think... I'm going to go 2-1 to England. I think England will just edge it. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Alex has said. I think the atmosphere at Wembley is going to be incredible and that's exactly what the team deserves. Um, I think it's good for England to have a really tough challenge. I think probably we can all agree we'd much rather have that than, than an easy win and leading up to the World Cup. That's what the team needs. Um, I'm not saying I want us to lose. But I am constantly looking over my shoulder on this run of, you know, this run of um, victories uh, and saying, hang on, what what's going to happen here? Like, it has to happen at some point and we need to work out how we're going to come back from it. I'd rather it now than the World Cup. But like I say, I want us to face a, cha- face a challenge. I want us to come through it. I do think both teams will score goals. I think to get to watch the Brazil team and their style and their skill on the ball will just be brilliant for, for anyone who's there and anyone who's watching. And like Alex says, it'll be really interesting to see how they, um, how Serena sets the team up and that'll give us a bit of an indication of what she might be looking to do at the World Cup. Yeah, I'm excited to see uh, the clash of styles. I do think that um, uh, England are the better team, at least at this point in time. Uh, and I would go for maybe uh, a 3-1 win. A three, one win. Um, 
But I mean, any team with Devinha, uh, Ari Borges, who is uh, Ari Borges, I, I don't know why I'm saying it with an English accent when it's my language. Um, Ari Borges, uh, who is a really, really good player. I think people will be very surprised uh, this season with, with her in racing Louisville. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't. Th I think Brazil are still a team in construction. Pia Sundhage has done a really good job so far, but I think there are still some steps to go. Um, and Brazil and England are a much uh, more mature team at this point, so I think they will win. And I don't think this is the game where the uh, the, the winning streak will end. Um, maybe uh, in the World Cup against uh, stronger teams. But yes, I am. If I had to put my money on on this game, which I don't ever, uh, I would put it on England. Finally, the French national team saga is over. Herve Renard has left his job as Saudi Arabia men's team manager to take over as France's coach, and he has interestingly immediately recalled Wendy Re Wendy Renard to the squad. In yes, Renard can be said to be quite a character, so this could be a lot of fun, couldn't it? Yes, I'm excited because now, well, he doesn't have that I know of uh, any any experience in the in women's football, and uh, women's football is not exactly the same as men's football. Uh, there are some specificities, but he's a very strong character, and he has uh, the ability to, you know, he's done a really good job with Morocco, with Saudi Arabia, and you know, it's a high prof high profile manager as well, which is good for women's football in terms of you know popularity, and it'll draw attention to to you know to the women's game, but uh, and I think the. It'll all depend uh, on how he gets along with the players, uh, especially the uh, the heavyweights in, in the uh, in the locker room, like Renard, uh, Diani, whom I hope recovers quickly. Uh, Katoto, if she also makes it uh, to the World Cup, uh, but not just like Le Salmer as well. So I think if he manages to create a cohesive and united group then he can be successful if he starts, um, you know, if the relationship with the players doesn't go as well like it did uh, with Cochin uh, Diak, which was the main reason she left, uh, then he will have uh, several issues because um, I think in, in maybe, I think, uh, I don't, I, I'm not saying that in women's football, the relationship with the coach is more important and in men's football, but I think women don't take as much uh, crap as uh, the men. I think we, uh, women, female players tend to be more, um, you know, to set boundaries more strongly in terms of what you can say to me, what you can do to me, how you can, how you can talk to me. And I think, you know, uh, it'll be interesting to see the dynamic between uh, Renat and uh, Renat. Uh, as well, Wandi and Hervé, and how things go for France, because they are one of the best teams in the world in terms of talent pool, uh, but they, the results haven't shown that. I am excited, personally. Well, that's it from us. A big thanks to Inya, Steph, and Alex for coming on the pod. It's been so lovely to chat to you all. 
Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast via all good podcasting platforms and give us a follow on Twitter at TWFP1 and on Instagram, it's the Women's Football Podcast. Have a great week, everybody. The Women's Football Podcast in partnership with Her Game 2.